Hello and welcome to a very special episode of the Sheffield Digital Podcast, coming live to you from Spaces as part of the first Sheffield Digital Festival. I'm Ian Broom and I'm joined by director Chris Diamond, but sadly not, hello Chris, but sadly not Mel Kanarek who has lost her voice uh, rather conveniently for this episode, but she's in the audience here. We have have a live audience. Say hello, live audience. There they are. (laughs) Imagine them. And uh, we're also joined by uh, Hannah Chaplin, founder of Sheffield Startup Receptive, which has rather just excitingly been acquired by Pendo. We'll be talking to Hannah shortly to find out more. But first, a couple of thank yous. I need to say thank you to Spaces Acero. They are a, a regional partner of Sheffield Digital, and they have very kindly let us come and use their uh, space. They have a beautiful co-working space out there and lots of other offices that uh, the people of Sheffield can take advantage of too. So thank you to Spaces. And as always, whilst we're not in their studio, no. we are using Rebel Base Media's kit. Um, so a big thank you to Rebel Base Media. They have a brand new podcasting studio um, in Sheffield, which I think you can still use for free for a couple of weeks before you start having to pay for it. But it's, it's brilliant, and I've seen lots of people using it. And uh, a big thank you to them for lending us their, their mobile kit. Their, yeah, we're using their remote kit for the first time. So we're giving it a bit of a test. Indeed. You can also hire this out, by the way. So um, what we have here can be hired out and, and used. And um, and I think that's it. So um, thanks for joining us, Hannah. Thank you for having me. Um, first of all, what does Receptive do? Um, and what's your role at the company? But, but also maybe a bit yep. of potted history uh, for you personally. How did you get here? All right. So um, set out to build Receptive because there was this question. Every time I built software, there was a big problem of knowing what to build next. Like what product improvements should we build? What features do customers need? What does the team need? What does the market need? So Receptive started to solve. That was the big problem we set out to solve. Um, and it's basically a, a system that allows you to collect prioritized feedback from customers, teams in the market. So you can make really smart decisions about like where you place your resources. Because um, the cost of like building, supporting, marketing the wrong things is, is absolutely huge. It just gets uh, bigger the bigger your company gets as well. Um, so yeah, and, and potted history really is um, you know Dan Jukeson, don't you? Yes, I, I know I know Dan Jukeson. <laughs> Dan's my co-founder, and we met at Technophobia, where I also met the Beard, as we called him, Chris Diamond. Um, um, so Dan and I met there, and then we started our first um, software agency together, and then we started a SaaS company together, and then we started Receptive. So we've we've just worked together on and off, um, and all like I say all the way through product feedback and knowing what to work on was our like single biggest pain point across every business and it was like it was we just felt it was the the one we were like sat down one day in electric works actually and said should we give this a go and we're like yeah all right then so Re- receptive was a pivot wasn't it because you were doing something i think it was your second startup yeah and yeah. um you weren't sure where to go and the one big problem you had was figuring out what mm-hmm. to build next um, yeah. and what to concentrate on and you had a bunch of spreadsheets and you were working a little database out to sort of make mm-hmm. this a bit easier yeah and you decided actually this is more interesting and potentially yeah. more successful. How did that happen? How did that decision get made? I don't really know. It was, it was, it was a funny one. Because like I say, it's something that had niggled us for a long time across various companies. But when we were running the SaaS company, um, it, it really hit home just how big the problem was. Like you've got free trialers, like how important should their voice be in your product decisions? And then you're closing like big enterprise deals and you're getting all this feedback. And yeah. it's like, well, very what, what do people. I do? From very different people, paying you very different amounts of money. Yeah. And it's trying to balance like the customer experience with... Um, building things that work for the business as well that's the tricky bit it's not just building what customers want it's building what works for the company and that's really difficult without good data um so yeah we we set off on on that journey um and yeah four years later yeah i think here i guess i I saw you up in newcastle didn't i um just after you'd made that decision you're part of which accelerator was it um so that was the ignite accelerator 
um, that's run, based out of Newcastle. So Dan and I were going up there yeah. um, a couple of days a week and kind of, it was a really good time actually because we just spent four to six months just purely on like customer development because we had this idea, we had this idea about like feature requests and, and, and helping product managers. But through that process of doing loads of customer interviews and talking to so many people, we turn that into, oh my gosh, this is like a huge business problem. It's not just a product problem, it's a business problem. Mm. And that's when we were like, okay, this is, this is exciting. We were talking earlier about getting excited about odd things. <laughs> this was certainly one yeah. of them. Um, so yeah. Was that something that came out with the accelerator, that kind of uh, time to think? Because we, we do, yeah. at Sheffield Digital, we do mm-hmm. see a lot, you know, things like uh, IoT Tribe North, and yeah. there are kind of these kinds of these programs. So yeah, and ways. How would, would you, I guess you would recommend <laughs> companies go to them? Um, I, don't, I don't think they're right for everyone. I wouldn't do it again. You'd be on that now. I wouldn't do, yeah, I wouldn't do it again. Um, I think it's good if you don't know anything about yeah. business or building product. I felt me and Dan were maybe a bit too far along in some ways. But the Even benefit, at the time when you yeah, went up to the Ignite. Yeah, because I mean, that was that your was, third startup, wasn't it, essentially? That, that was the fourth thing I'd started. Right, and the yeah, third yeah. Dan had started. So we knew all the basics. We knew about SaaS metrics. We knew about building mm-hmm. companies. We knew about hiring. Um, but the, bin- the benefit for us was that that time to research and to think. Um, I think we would have done that anyway, but it was it's more, you know, more allocated structured, time, yeah. more structured time yeah. to do yeah. it. Yeah, plus yeah. it's out of the city as well, so mm-hmm. somewhere you have to go, yeah. you're around other people who are trying to do the same thing. Yeah, so. which was really fun. There's yeah. some really fun people on it, yeah. So it was great, yeah. And did, did you always want to set up a company? Is that something that's, um, it sounds like you always had that ambition? I if you tried, so. tried four times with a start, it seems like it was like it, there was like a, a motivation there. Yeah, I never wanted to work somewhere where you had to wear smart clothes. Of course. <laughs> um, and as a child, I was a bit odd as a child. My dad's in the audience. I used to love reading the Financial Times. <laughs> I did. I had this big stack of Financial Times in my bedroom. It was stupid. Um, but business always fascinated me. Like I loved business studies and economics, and I was really keen to to do something and that's part of the reason like after school after I did my A-levels I went and got a job which is how I ended up at Technophobia because yeah. I was just really keen to as a receptionist as, yeah, as was reported this week like, <laughs> that's so, as a like, headline like, from receptionist <laughs> oh. and it's like yeah well yeah we used to hire like really smart graduates <laughs> as reception people just to get them into the company I, I mean like, I, you know you, you know yeah, receptionist at Technophobia wasn't a normal receptionist job anyway. And you weren't a receptionist for very long. Were you hired as a receptionist anyway? Um, junior administrator. Junior, so I was only 18 or 19 at the in, time. Yeah, and you probably did. So this took a bit of a punt You probably on, got stuck on reception a few times, mm-hmm. maybe. For that article. But Ian Applegate was hired as a receptionist. Yeah, well, I, I hired Ian, yeah. Like, you know, five years later, he's kind of account manager at AKQA in Portland or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was funny, wasn't it? Yeah. But um, that article was weird. It made receptionists sound like not a good job yeah so right. I didn't like that no. I was like that's not cool um, I'm going to have a word with them yeah don't worry no because really you went from project manager mm. yeah so I was junior administrator for like six months yeah. then junior project manager yeah. was that when you were there yeah when yeah. you were there and then project manager and then did you make senior before you left no no yeah no. yeah yeah so you had loads of experience of, of building software because that's what you used to do you used yeah. to run your own projects and work, yeah. with the, work with the team and build software to deadlines you know so how do you, how do you go from there to setting up your own thing though um i think i can't remember quite how that happened but there was a couple of other people i worked with and we just decided to start our own like software agency um i just thought what the heck we'll, we'll give it a we'll give it a try right, so yeah. we kind of did um yeah that one didn't end so well but yeah, that was a that was a good lesson in in um, picking yourself up and, and cracking on there. Because I had a one year old, I just had a baby, and suddenly my company disappeared. Yeah. So I think when you've done that, nothing really phases you yeah. too badly after that, which yeah. is which is which is good. Looking back at the time, it was horrible, <laughs> but looking back, it was it was it was good. It gives you some armour. Mm-hmm. 
Exactly. Yeah, and then, yeah. I mean, it was after that that you got together with Dan, wasn't it? Not in that way, Business-wise. <laughs> your business partner, Dan. My business partner, Dan. Not your husband. No, that's Gareth. Gareth Different yeah. people. Yeah. People people get it confused all the time. It's so awkward. It's so awkward. Um, but yeah, so, so yeah, Dan, Dan and I were at the, at the original agency, SaaS products and, and then Receptive, and, and we've really built that, that company together, worked really, really close together. Um, which has been really, really fun. We, we, I think I said the other day it was chalk and cheese, and, and the CEO from Pendo, who, we, who have acquired, acquired us, had no idea what I was talking about. It's like chalk and, and what? <laughs> Just never heard the expression before. You must have um, seen so quaint. To, yeah, it was like what? To the brass at yeah, Pendo. Chalk and cheese. Um, but we're very, very different, and I think that's a really good thing to look for in a co-founder. And it was completely unintentional. We're very, very different, and he's the only person that genuinely makes me angry sometimes. <laughs> He is. I'm not an angry person, um, but we like push each other in in, in different ways, and, yeah. and so it seems to have been a really like positive working relationship. Yeah, um, well, it's a good combo, isn't it? Because yeah. you've got loads of project management experience and a business head, and he, he was a senior dev at Technophobia. Mm-hmm. He's a really good developer and architect, mm-hmm. so he was able to build the things that you imagined. Yeah, and, and the thing them. about Dan as well that makes Dan a bit uh, a bit different, really, is he's a developer, but he's also got a business head on mm. him. He's very commercial, <clears> like. <throat> Poor Dan deals with all like the legals and a lot of the, I can't cope with legals, I can't cope with lawyers. Um, and he's really good at that stuff. And that's what makes him really stand out. That got him from a developer to um, to being like yeah. a business person, if, yeah, if yeah. you like. He's just got that that about him, which is cool. And and how did you kind of grow receptive? Because it's, it's been a, it's, it's only a couple of, two years, three years that it's since you set uh, it up, is that right? Four years. Four years. Yeah. So it's still yeah. a relatively short period of time from mm-hmm. setting up to, you know, being acquired. It's quite a you know, yeah. quite, quite a tight journey. It's felt a long time. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> but what, what's the um, kind of what practical stuff have you done mm. to to kind of grow that business? I think uh, the biggest thing was uh, just a really strong focus on the customer. Like we've, we've like our first hire, one of our first hires was customer success. It, that, I don't know if that's a role. Are you familiar with that, Chris? You, I've heard. I've seen yeah. it before. I've never worked with a customer right. success specialist right. it's kind of like um chief of happiness yeah. <laughs> it's like, like well it's like a growth manager or something like yeah, that yeah. it's like certain roles that it does have that vibe to it yeah. doesn't it but um yeah just being really focused on the customer and like dog food in our products like we were building like which is like it's a dream isn't it like we've got this product that tells us what we should be working on yeah. and that was genuinely core to why the product got traction so quickly and why we well, were really able is a to scratch your own itch type it thing, was it? yeah that's what, I, that's what <laughs> I love about it it's great um so we were able to go from like you know small early stage customers to like we sell to some we ended up selling to some really big companies out in silicon valley and they are hard to sell to like we landed a three-year um deal with a, a few big companies over there and i think that's one of the things that helped get the attention of uh, pendo who acquired mm. us um and that was honestly purely down to building a strong team focusing on the customer um and using receptive to to build a really strong product and those those things in combination kind of gradually gradually got us there are you allowed to say who they are no <laughs> <laughs> i suspect another way you definitely <laughs> dan does uh, the legals no. <laughs> dan does the legals yeah don't talk to the legal team yeah so so what was um what was the the um the break-even point then at what mm-hmm. point did you really did you start to make revenue um we started making revenue our first customer was matty lanham who's a good friend now at, at, at gecko engage um and he was paying us like 50 quid a month or something so that was really exciting <laughs> and um we raised some angel capital um, shout out to Kevin Beals who kind of pulled the round together. He's a ama- love Kevin. He's amazing, and he was a bit of a missing piece for us in that he's got loads of experience in like enterprise uh, software sales. Um, so he was, you know, really, really helped me. I'm terrible wow. at. I, I felt I was terrible at sales. So he really coached and, and helped all the way through. Um, 
so we kind of started off from like one customer raised a bit of, of capital um and then kind of went, went from there i suppose so it was, was it um equity investment that you got in the um, first place and then yeah. grew from there so yeah. how, how many rounds have you have you done we did two small angel rounds uh-huh. i'm not talking stupid money um at all um and then we got to break even just after the second so maybe like 18 months two years in right so um, two small rounds two years yeah. in yeah. And you're on your own feet. Mm-hmm. But my goal was growing. always to get break even. Yeah. Because I think when you get to break even, particularly in the UK where there isn't as big a VC um, kind of scene, and mm. it's very, the investment here is very, very different to the States. So my thinking was if we get to break even, then it puts us in the driving seat a lot better, puts us in control of our own destiny. We're not needing funding. Mm-hmm. I'm not, not having begging. to waste time. Not waste time. That's, that's the wrong way to word it. But um, I've, I wanted to focus on the business and the product and building the team. I'm I didn't want to spend six months raising money. I wanted yeah. to get revenue because I think getting revenue is a lot stronger indicator of how successful you're going to be in some ways than just being able to raise money. It's yeah. a different skill. Was that your strategy all along, though? Were you looking mm-hmm. to exit? Um, I or think did this opportunity just come along and it made sense all around? A bit of both, to be honest. I always wanted to build something and sell it. That was right. like something me and Dan wanted to yeah. do. So we did set out to get an exit at some point. Um, but Pendo, it was a cold it was a cold email from one of the founders, Rahul. Rahul is... I love him. He's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. He just sent me a LinkedIn email. Got chatting with him. Um, did you know him before? Or did you no. Know him before? No. Wow. I was like, who's this person? He sent you an in mail. He yeah. actually sent you an in mail. <laughs> they work. In mails work. That's unbelievable. But, like, we have companies pumping us for information because the space started hotting up around like feed, feedback and product analytics. And there'd been some other acquisitions going on. So people had contacted us and like pump us for information. So I was quite, I wasn't nasty to him, but I was quite cold with him. <laughs> The first calls of it off with him because yeah. I didn't really know what he wanted. Are you wasting my time? Yeah, there was just something the way he worded the email. I was like, oh, I'll have a chat with him. And product analytics is like really, really complimentary to what to what we do. Mm. Uh, yeah, so they, they put analytics into products, so you get a big, you know, data mm-hmm. stream off how people are using it. Yep. You know, exactly. more than just like web analytics, but in in products. In products, yes. Yeah, mm. So it's product analytics, so it's all um, very like quantitative, and they also have like in-app guides. So it's about customer experience. So they guide the user based on you know the information that they're gathering. Mm. So obviously understanding um, like what to build and then how people are using it. You put those two things together, and it's like wow, like no one else is doing that yet. Um, so. I think like we weren't for sale. I didn't want to sell yet. The business was going well, but I was like waking up every morning, like freaking out, excited <laughs> um, about like the opportunity. I was like, oh man. This, so did, this did he tell cool. you there was an opportunity right from the start, no. or did you just want to? What did he say? Did he want to? At some point in one conversation, he was like, "How would you feel about joining the Pendo family?" Oh, and I was so. like, "Oh hello." I was like, "Okay." <laughs> Um, and then Dan and I met the, the CEO, Todd, who's ex- exceptional. He like we met him, and we were just like, wow, he was. It was just amazing. And the more um, interaction we had with different team members, the more excited me and Dan got. And we were like, okay, we think we should do something here. Um, but yeah, we didn't we didn't go looking for it. And um, we were a bit unsure at first because yeah. things were going well. Why would yeah, you want to yeah, sell a good company? Yeah, why would you do that? Yeah. And I didn't feel like I was done yet. Yeah. So the nice thing about Pendo, it was all based around bringing the team in to be part of Pendo and to take it up to the next level. And, and that's what I was excited about. I didn't want to stop doing this. I've got too much energy left for it. So the opportunity to join a bigger company and, and take receptive somewhere I, could, I don't think we could have got to like on our own was that was so compelling I couldn't say no to it. Yeah. Where, where are they based? Uh, in Raleigh in North Carolina. Right, Raleigh, that's right. Mm-hmm. It was a slightly odd place. How's it going to work with the Sheffield staff and Sheffield office? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what sort of effects is it going to have on the company? 
in that in those terms. Um, so we're going to be the European Development Office based in Sheffield. So people we are hiring, can I say that? Yeah. Can I say, are you going to cut that out? <laughs> no, not all this. That's what Sheffield Digital is literally for. <laughs> so go for it. So yeah, front end and software engineers. So we're, we're building up like, uh, like a super team here in Sheffield. Um, everyone's like moved over. So we've got customer success, salesperson, Dan's director of engineering and director of product management. And we're both leading uh, Sheffield. Um, but they've got offices in, in London, in Israel, there's like New York, San Francisco, so they really are yeah. all over. Um, and we're going to be working really closely with the London team as well, um, going out into into Europe. So yeah, it's going to be exciting, I think. Th- those jobs, or at least I think some of them have started going on the Sheffield Digital Jobs Board, Ooh. which is exciting. Yes. Excellent, thank you. This week. Cool. Um, so yeah, they're, they're the, the plan is really to build the development team out in Sheffield and, and kind of take over the the world is, is, is that is that for the receptive part of pendo's family or are there other pendo products likely to be developed or innovated here so given what the two products are like we're actually over the summer working on an integration project yeah. to, to tie the two things together so um there's pendemonium which is the big conference in september we're gonna <laughs> like it's a cool name isn't it yeah, pendemonium <laughs> do you remember that old computer game pandemonium yeah that's why yeah. I like it because yeah. I used to love that game. PlayStation One. Yes, it was great. I did it on PC actually, did but yeah, 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 it was great. Um, so we're like gearing up and like getting the first bits of the integration ready for for September, um, and we're going to just start weaving the the products together really closely. And 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 part of all that is the go to market strategy and how we brand it and how we how we sell it and how how we package it all yeah, up. Yeah. So I think come September we'll have a well, we are going to have a, a, a clear review on, on on all of those things. Right. Depend on a on acquisition spree in general. Are they? Or is this, I mean, how is it, how, how is it from there? Obviously, you can't ask them directly, but what's your impression of them? Is this something that they do all the time or is this something that they just saw this particular opportunity because it, it completes their offer so perfectly? Yeah, it was, it was, def- it was definitely um, the, the latter. They, they've made a, an acquisition previously, a company called Insert out of uh, Israel. Okay. And that was like the mobile version of the user guides that they have built in uh, Pendo. But this was uh, very much about like completing the platform and um, the product cloud as they as they call it so it's an extension to their to their offering um so yeah cool so they've done it before and they've done it before get an idea of what's likely to happen yep yep but i don't know about going going forward i'm I'm assuming at at some point but who knows cool I suspect we've made it all sound really super easy. <laughs> Just, oh, it's uh, terrible. It's terrible. Set a company up and get acquired within four years. So what, what have been like, the biggest challenges? Where, what have you kind of learned the most along the way? Oh, it is. Yeah, and what would your advice be for other people trying to do the similar thing? Like, you've got to really like what you're doing, haven't you? <laughs> like, honestly, if you don't, I think if you didn't enjoy it, you wouldn't do it. Like, anyone who sets up a company and thinks, oh, this is easy, I'll just do this and make some money. If you go in with that mindset, it's not, it's not going to work out. Like, yeah. the hours and the energy and the effort... And all of that is, it's very intense way of working. Um, so I think the advice, but you've got to do something you really, really enjoy. I'd, I wouldn't have been able to do it otherwise. I'm, I'm sure there's exceptions, but I think the drive to see it through helped a lot. Because you have months even where you feel like, oh, this is going so slow. It's not mm-hmm. going fast enough. This is terrible. Um, and I, every time you lose a customer, you feel sick. Um, <laughs> genuinely, mm-hmm. it really bugs me, does that? <laughs> And um, it's really hard, like hiring mistakes, like hiring the wrong people and then being really disruptive in the team. I've done that a few times. And <laughs> yeah, it's difficult. Mm. It is really, it's not easy. As everybody knows, it really isn't easy. Um, but you've just got to have the passion to do it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not really a quick success story. You've gone from nothing to this in four years because this was mm. the second, third or fourth attempt. Yeah. 
at that, doing something and you've got 15 years of experience. Mm-hmm. That's so. a great point. Honestly, I think Receptive was in the making from when I started that job at Technophobia yeah. when I was like 18 or 19 years old. Like you can, you don't see it at the time, do you? You never, you never do, but you, you look back and everything makes sense when, yeah. you, when you're looking back on it. Um, and there's no way we would have been able to do what we've done. If this, if this was our first business, it wouldn't have worked. We wouldn't have known no, enough. No. If I hadn't done project management, I wouldn't have understood enough about how to build software. All those things. Yeah. Feed yeah. Each and you other, were always. They? I mean, one of the things about you was that you were always so hungry to learn everything. You wanted to know how everything. You know. Knows what, it. <laughs> what everybody did and how everything <laughs> worked. Um, but it also came up in in, in the um, announcements about the acquisition. Was you know, Pendo was saying you know they're multiple entrepreneurs. You know that was. I don't think they would have been as interested had they not discovered that this was not your first stab at doing something that you'd, yeah. you know, you'd had setbacks and you'd, you'd done other things. And Yeah, I think that helps because um, a, a lot of them, especially especially Toddy's founded companies before as well. So I think yeah. we just clicked on some level. Yeah. It was really odd. Yeah. Um, and I think that was the biggest like, the thing I've missed out about the acquisition was there's no way I would have done it if I'd felt like I was getting a boss or if I didn't like the people <laughs> but we just seemed to click and that really really helped um but like I think it is they keep saying there's some magic with me and Dan and I think that is just because we've annoyed each other for so long and and figured out how we tick and how we work yeah. that has, has built up to this well yeah I've often said that you know like successful double acts are virtually unstoppable Double acts are great, we'll yeah. So long may it continue. I yeah, hope so. Yeah, yeah, from here. yeah. Definitely. Um, we should maybe throw some questions out to the audience, seeing as you've got people in the room. I was going to say it seems uh, silly to not take advantage of such a situation. We've also run out of questions on this list. So <laughs> yeah. Oh, is that the real reason? Okay. Uh, does anybody have any questions for Hannah? <laughs> yes. Or Chris <laughs> or Ian? I've got no answers. I have a question for Hannah. I'm Drew. I work over at Wendisco, just across across the way. Um, what I'd like to know is you mentioned you had several st- several startups and so even for the ones which were less successful, how did you go from having an idea to forming that initial company and, and starting to build things and try and sell them? It's a bit scary. It does feel a bit mad at the time. but um, So I just made sure I had enough money saved up so that I could test it. <laughs> so I'd, I'd give myself a time frame. So every time I've gone right, I've got a few months' money in the bank, I'm going to try this and see if it works and I never really had a plan B I always figured oh if it doesn't work I could maybe get a job <laughs> so it's a it's an odd thing to do but once you've done it it gets easier and then after that your appetite for risk just goes through the roof and you're like whatever um it does change you know if I think if you've come from a, a I think I was lucky that I hadn't had a like a proper job in inverted quotes for very long I'd worked for someone else for like two or three years so I wasn't accustomed to having a salary every month. Um, so I just made sure I had enough money in the bank to try it and just did it. <laughs> it was a bit mad, yeah. And for some reason, every time we started a company, either me or Dan and his wife would have a child, which was through a little bit of a complication into the, the whole thing. The last one was born at the start of Receptive, actually. That yeah. was uh, Dan's youngest, Bella, yeah. So you can track the companies based on our kids and their ages, basically. So, yeah, we... Uh, yeah, yeah it's a bit, bit nuts it's fair play that you've, you've both <laughs> had young families and done this as well it really shows it can be done mm. I think a lot of people maybe wouldn't have taken the risk but yeah but we've disasters great that you have. well yeah. thank you <laughs> <laughs> any other questions I am Joe from Wandisco as well um but my question is uh, you um what kind of support network did you rely on in Sheffield like did you go to events did you um yeah where, where did you find help essentially as you started I think I'm being really bad at um, like reaching out to the Sheffield community. It's been more like individual connections of people 
I already knew, I think. Um, so we've had a few friends between us who we're just friends with and I've found like they're good for support. But I think starting the companies, the supports more come from like family and friends, to be honest, because when you work in so much, just like going out with your friends for a bike ride on a Friday or mum and dad making me Sunday dinner on a Sunday with the, with the kids. <laughs> Thank you, dad. Um, it's been more support in that sense, more like mental health type stuff rather than support like how do I solve this business problem it's been more that like well-being support on the outside that, that we've, me and Dan have relied on I think but there are loads of good places in Sheffield to, to go now aren't Sheffield Digital being one of them do you have any recommendations on if people need like more business type support where they should yeah well I mean you know there's, there's now quite a bit of support available I mean, business Sheffield have got um, I think they've got three or even four um, like tech advisors um, but I think, again, a bit like accelerators, I think when, by the time you got to doing receptive, you were beyond that anyway. And your market's yeah. externally, you're building a SaaS product, you're, your market's global, you're, you're, mm. you're exporting, you're out there. You know, I don't know where you got your legal support from, whether that was from Sheffield or whether you just... That was Leeds actually close by, yeah. Free Evolution. They were absolutely amazing, especially through the, the deal and the acquisition. They were amazing. They were so good. Um, and that was a company Dan found. Um, but I, th I think there is support there. But honestly, I've always been like so focused and head down on the company. Mm. I've not, I've not really, I'm not good at stopping looking up and being like, okay, what's around in Sheffield? I've just been like going into work, getting the job done, and and, and having that sort of focus on it. But I think it is good to reach out to people, especially now. There's a lot more than there used to be. Mm. Um, well, so now you might do more because you're building a bigger team. You've got exactly. More resources, it's, maybe more time to be strategic about how yeah, you build stuff. So. That's one thing I'd re really like to do more of. Um, and my job's like pivoted a bit so half of it is the product management side but half is like the advocacy and like building connections so I would like to get more involved Fantastic any, any more questions? <laughs> um, oh, uh, I'm Cam from Paper um, what I wanted to know is you know how you were always going to exit did you always have a sort of a set of criteria for how you'd know when it was okay to be acquired like you mentioned stuff like um, not having a boss and what you might have to wear I was wondering if those were ever written down or formalized or like whether you discussed them with your business partner yeah I mean Dan and I talked about we did talk about it a lot and in a lot of ways we did kind of prepare the business to exit at some point so there's lots of things that small businesses don't always put enough emphasis on and it's really practical things that looking back I'm really really pleased we did like have you got employment contracts for everyone like proper you know legal ones that aren't just ripped off the website because when you're scrappy and there's two of you you think that stuff doesn't matter but then if you're building a business to be acquired like we had a, we had a lot of situations in the office where Dan would be like I'm not signing that contract because if we exit one day they're not going to like that and like there's all these little things so I think between us because that was our goal in a way um, for the you know we didn't see it happening now but for the longer term we did focus on that and we did we did talk about what it would look like in in some way um yeah and we, and we did talk to kevin about it as well our, our investor uh, he'd had companies acquired and i remember sitting him down one day and i was like what does it need to look like to be a you know to get an acquisition and there's like lots of different reasons isn't there? there's like our acquisition where it was to do with complementary products sometimes you get acquired for the team just the team and they shut the product down there's loads of different forms it can take um but i think having that conversation with your co-founder even when there's just like two or three of you is a positive thing because it can help you build a company so that when it happens one day it's not a mess behind the scenes presumably the valuation's got to be right as well oh so yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm guessing the valuation was okay. Yeah, it was fine, thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
Yeah, de- definitely. But I think, like, like I said earlier, the the sign for me that made it all feel right was I, I was I was waking up not excited about valuation. I was waking up excited about the opportunity and what was next. And I think that is a really good sign. If you're doing that, then why wouldn't you? You know. Any more questions? Uh, Joel from Wanderska again. <laughs> Hello again. <laughs> yeah. Hi. Um, so you, as a as a SUS company with potentially global customer base, mm-hmm. what did you find effective at either getting customers to find you or you finding them? Content, like thought leadership and, and content, especially because we were doing something that hadn't been done before. A lot of it was like webinars, writing, uh, podcasts, doing stuff on LinkedIn, on Medium, social media. And... I think the reason the content worked so well is because we, we were never shoving receptive as a product down people's throats. We were always about how do we help people, even without receptive, how do we help them build a better product by understanding feedback better? So we always came at it with that mentality. Like even on the webinars and, and everything, it'd never be, look at receptive, it's great, it's great. It was always about the process and that sort of thing. And I think that really resonated um, with people because we were offering value and help. Um, so content was really worth investing in for us I'm, I'm glad we did that that route and how did you invest in it was it a case of hiring people to do it or was it something that you kind of managed to squeeze into your own time because there's, there's, a, there's a level of yeah. expertise needed to to make that kind of content useful I just made it up honestly I'd never done it before I just made it up but you did it yeah yeah and then we hired a content writer called uh, Joe Joe Daniels um, and he but I very much did that once I'd got the process down so I just experimented with things um I think that's a good lesson as well actually like I always thought people who build companies have the answers and you don't it's about test like having an idea and then testing it so I was like okay I'm going to do a webinar series about this I'll do two and and see what happens and then if it was looking good and generating leads I'd double down on it and like push it more so there, there honestly wasn't anything fancy going on there it was just trial and error um testing things seeing seeing what worked um seeing what sort of messaging worked with people as well um so yeah it, and it's really good to do that because when you start writing you don't realize what's in your head and a lot of when you were writing it'd be like oh so that's how it works and that feed into everything else i think if you're starting something making the time to to write actually is a very good exercise I think it, the, the reason I talk about the expertise because I think it can seem like um, it can seem like quite a uh, you don't get immediate an immediate kind of like return on investment to writing yeah. a blog post, do you? No. God, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But so so it seems like a like a conscious decision to to do that is something that it seems uh, to me it seems bold, but it's it seems like a I mean it's worked out, but it, you can kind of like it's a bit of a, it can be a bit of a grind. It's a it's a total yeah it's, it is a grind. So so on some mornings I get in really early so I can get the kids from school and that'd be my writing time before anyone else got in and I just make myself do it. I put some like power music on really loud. <laughs> <laughs> and drink loads of coffee. I think all well was the same. It was, it was great. <laughs> and then just like write things. But you're right, there, there isn't that immediate thing. But my advice would be like, just, you've got to stick at it, haven't you? And I figured if I was loud enough, I remember saying to Dan one day, I'm just going to make loads of noise, um, which I'm good at anyway, aren't I, Chris? You are. I'm good at that. Um, I was like, if I make enough noise, people won't miss us. And it did kind of, yeah, it kind of worked. <laughs> so so you, you, you cranked the, the volume level up. Mm-hmm. in your environment when you were writing yep. in order to project your writing out oh, as yes. loudly as you could. Yes, that, that was like, it. Write loud. <laughs> <laughs> I did it this morning. I love it. <laughs> We've got a little Sonos in the office now. Yeah. Thanks, Jeremy, from, from head office for, for bringing us that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we just crank songs on now and it works. It's very motivational. <laughs> Sweet. Good method. 
thank you. I think that's probably that's probably it. And um, congratulations. Thank you. Thanks well for having me. Cheers, guys. And, thank you. Um, give our best to Dan as well. I will. Thank Thanks. you. We, we've never done this before, but I think we could probably do an actual round of applause. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, on to news and events. Back yes. onto the kind of uh, normal schedule. Yeah. First thing we're going to talk about is what we're in right now, the Sheffield Digital Festival. But of course, um, you're listening listen to this in the future, unless you're in the room, in which case you're listening to it in the present, <laughs> just to be clear. Um, but it seems to be all going really well. We had um, a good response. Of course, Mel, who's in the audience, is the person who really should be here talking yeah. about all of this. But yeah. uh, we'll try. It seems and a bit strange talking about it without Mel. It Maybe does. She could just Give us a signs or something. Some signs, yes. <laughs> Two but thumbs up. The, the main event, which is the, the main event, uh, I nearly said that without actually it being a joke, but the main event is yeah. the main event. That happens tomorrow as yeah. we record, yeah. and, um, and that's completely sold out um, well in advance, which is fantastic. And there have been a good number of fringe events. They're still taking place. This is one of them. Yeah, but there's there is a load of events on this week. Yeah. I haven't been able to get to very many, actually, but... And um, and so the response from the community has been really good, and um, and you know we'll report back, I guess. In yeah, the- we'll do a proper wrap up in the, in the next podcast. Um, it's also the Alg- Algomec um, Festival, um, I think starts today and runs into the weekend. So there's a whole bunch of events around that, um, centered around access space, and it's all about um, uh, algorithmic music and movement. So there's a lot of really cool stuff. If people are into physical computing and algorithms, it's it's the National Festival for Physical Computing and Algorithms, basically. <laughs> so it's also it's a lot of cool stuff. And all of their events are on the Sheffield. They're festival. all yeah, yeah. They're, I mean, this isn't they're, they're not part of the festival, but their events are on the festival calendar. They're happening at the same time. So really, this was a this was an, an experiment to a degree. The, the festival to see if people wanted it and see how it goes and all that kind of thing. And, yeah. and it seems to be that people do want it. And yeah, so. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure Mel would talk about this more. But for the fact that it, it was, you know. It was kind of late to be announced because there was a lot of work to do beforehand. So, you know, it didn't really give people too much time to prepare for it. Um, and we were a little bit worried that there won't be that many fringe events or people didn't have enough time to organize stuff that was complimentary. Actually, the calendar's really filled out. There's been stuff every day this week um, and a really good selection of stuff. I mean, I think there's like t- two or three other things going on right now while we're doing this. So. Yeah. Um, so I think the, the most important thing really is to get feedback. So we are looking for as many people to get in touch as possible. If you've been to a fringe event, so let us know and tell us what you think. Um, obviously, if you go to the main event um, or you went to the main event, um, let us know what you thought of that. So um, you can do that by, uh, I guess, emailing info at sheffield.digital, all the usual ways. And um, Twitter. hope everyone's had fun or had fun. Yes. Goodness me. <laughs> you haven't quite got used to this yet, have No, we? I haven't. Um, I'm like the Marty McFly of podcasting, but worse at it. Um, the uh, Sheffield Digital Awards, that was a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, so that took place at Collider. Yes, co-host. Yeah. Co-host, which is part of Collider. It is, well, it's part of the, it's in Castle House. Co-host is the um, event space in Castle House. Collider is the accelerator and, and incubation space. And Commune is the food court. Yes. But it's all, I guess it's all... None of, the, none of them spell with a C. <laughs> no, that's right. All with a K. Very co. Um, but uh, yeah, we should say congratulations to all the winners. And yeah, all the it was a really good event. Yeah, uh, it was you know loads of people there. It was really well produced. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, there's lots of things that we can learn for next year. This was the first one, and, and there's, there's, there's things that need to be tweaked around the edges and some of the categories and, you know, some of the talks maybe didn't go down as well as they could have done and things like that. But generally speaking, to have, you know, so many people from the tech industry here and so many people from across the city here as well as a celebration of the, of the work and the companies here in Sheffield, I think it was an absolute roaring success. And what, what sort of role of Sheffield, well, first of all, what role did Sheffield Digital play? Because it's the Sheffield Digital Awards, but it wasn't a Sheffield Digital event. No, no, we, I mean, it was a partnership between... Between um, the Star newspaper and Sheffield Digital, so we, so the Star approached us and said we really want to put some awards on um, for the tech industry. It's a big, important sector of, of the city, we, you know, but they don't really represent in the, the the general Sheffield Business Awards, and it's not it's not really their scene kind of thing. How do we how do we celebrate the tech industry um, in a in a separate awards thing? Um, so we work with the Star to design the the format and the categories, um, and you know how it how it all should be put together and we help them promote it and, and uh, we basically did um, did a lot of, of, of helping them connect with the tech industry to make it a success and to and to run it as a as a you know a proper awards process um, but we didn't judge like we weren't on the judging panel you know we're, we're, we're neutral we're not gonna we're not, not gonna you know we have no favorites in in the community so um, we love everyone the same we do, yeah, and and so, so you know, it, for, for the star, it was obviously about sponsorship as well. Um, they managed to sell out all of the sponsorship slots, and the, the sponsors were were on the judging panel, um, and so they went through a process of, of deciding who the winners were. Um, but you know, Sheffield Digital were there. Our presence was, you know, was was in all of the publicity around it. Um, so yeah, it was it was joint awards, um, but the star did all the logistics and and took all of the sponsorship money, obviously. And we partnered with them to do it because we wanted to see it happen. And uh, the, hopefully there'll be another one next year. And we can yeah, we really want it to be an annual event. I think um, I, th- I think I think it worked. You know, for, as far as the star, because it's a risk for them. They invested a, a lot of money and time and effort into putting it on, and they, they need to see a return on it. They're a, a local newspaper; they don't exactly have a huge revenue stream um, nowadays. Um, but I think it will work for them, and I think they'll want to do it again next year. And, and we certainly would because because it was a it was a great way of celebrating. Um, we should go down the, the the winners actually and let people know who won. Uh, do you want to be Mick Fleetwood or Sam Fox? <laughs> Jeez, what a choice. <laughs> Which, what do you think, audience? Would, <laughs> of the two of us? If anyone says anything about my similarity to Sam Fox, then... <laughs> so, best online, <laughs> best online personality was uh, Helen Milner, who's the chief executive of Good Things Foundation. And, yep. and uh, I think uh, she would agree was, more importantly, her previous guest of the Shepherd That's right, podcast. Yes. Several, um, several winners were, have previously been on the show. You go next. Uh, um, so best me- uh, web or mobile application was a Circle app by Joy Polloy. Um, and, you know, um, Nick at Joy Polloy um, spoke at our first showcase event last year. Um, best video game was Crackdown 3 by Sumo Digital. Yeah, her, who also um, spoke at our last showcase event. Uh, and best economic support initiative was um, My HR tool- Toolkit. Best use of tech in industry, performance, engineered solutions. We're doing this like we're actually we're doing the awards, <laughs> aren't we? This is very strange. Um, Let's keep going. Uh, best digital arts and culture project was Playground by Children's Media Conference. Uh, and we've, I mean, we've had Shana on the on the show as well. Yeah, and that's coming up soon, isn't it? The 2019 version? It is, yeah, yeah. Which will be, I think, the fourth or fifth year. Yeah, it's going to uh, site gallery, I think, again. Um, the Best Tech for Good, Good Things Foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, most innovative use of digital tech was The Flow. Best international success, Zoo Digital. Yeah. And uh, best on- uh, young entrepreneur of the year was Anna Bollinger from Apt, um, who we also um, spoke about. We didn't speak to Anna, but we spoke to Neil. Um, episode one. In episode one, that's right. First, first podcast was about Apt's expansion into China. So, yeah, this is what 
almost two years later. <laughs> She's a young entrepreneur of the year. So yeah, it was great. It was a really good night. Well done, everyone. Uh, so, um, so one of the things that's happened uh, recently that um, is in, on our list of things in Good News Corner um, is uh, that Wandisco have worked with um, Sheffield College um, to set up a new data academy. Um, and it just so happens that um, the person who's been involved in that is in the audience. Uh, so May, do you want to um, just tell us a little bit about it, if, if you don't mind? We've yeah, dragged sure. you up to talk to us um, <laughs> about this, seeing as you're here, but uh, yeah, it'd be great sure. to hear about it. Um, so basically at Sheffield College, they're setting up, um, I don't know, I think... I think there might be 10 to 12 academies um, of different companies offering like a, an in-company feel during a learner's um, journey through their okay. curriculum. So basically the idea is that as well as learning um, their subject, they also get to experience what it's like working in a company. They're going to have to go through like a recruitment process, like they're applying for a job kind of thing. Right. So we're going to work with the college, we're going to vet a load of applications from the students, um, so they'll get practice, you know, applying um, as they so, would so to an employer. Okay. Yeah. And then we'll do an interview, uh, yeah. maybe a second round of interviews, just to <laughs> <laughs> Make it realistic. really unsettle them. Yeah, and then yeah, they'll be admitted onto the course, and we'll give them a bit of a branded uniform to wear. And their office is basically a replica of ours. Um, and yes, they they're going to learn what they would have learned had they not been admitted into the academy, okay. um, but in that setting. But, but right. they're also going to, from us, they're going to have industry placements. So they're going to come and visit, visit us. I think it's once a week um, during their time. Um, in the academy okay. uh, and they can gain like insight into the the way that Wandisco works right. and get to meet people how many students how many places are there 12 or 14 I think but yeah it depends on how many applicants there are but I think uh -huh. you know we should get Something the quota like but I think yeah yeah between between right. 10 and 15 so Wandisco is one of the 10 companies and yeah. each of those 10 companies has kitted out a classroom yeah, yeah. My kids go to something called the Curious Kids Town just down the road, and uh, there's a post office, there's a building site, <laughs> yeah, there's well, a supermarket, and it sounds yeah. exactly the it's, same. It is like that. I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've spent time in there. <laughs> uh, so is, is Wandisco the only tech company out of the 10, or Good do you know question. who the other 10 I are? I think we might, but I don't know. I don't think we know a little bit about the other companies. We're not yeah, we've about. just focused right. on ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's yeah. per sector, basically. So right, okay. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, so at the end of their course, then, they, they have another chance to apply for a real job with a Wandisco. Okay. So, you know, depending on how successful they've yeah, been yeah, and whether they're a good fit for the company, then we kind of might get, a, you know, the cream of the crop. Right. So, <laughs> so you're opening a few junior positions yeah. for apprentices to get, yeah, to get into. Yeah, exactly. Well, I guess yeah. are they, they're not really apprentices, are they? They're... Yeah, I guess what, junior what? apprentice. We could, yeah, we haven't actually got anything solidified, but you know, okay. it's something to think about and see at the end of it. Oh, that sounds really good. For both of us, yeah. So it's cool. Exciting. All right. Well, um, so when, when is it, when is it, when's the first intake? When does uh, it start? September. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so right. it's soon. Oh, yeah. Well, we should probably have, have you back on the show properly uh -huh. um, to talk about how it's gone and how, <laughs> or how it's going um, yeah. when you've actually got some students in there. Okay, so the, the Technation report came out uh, just this week as we speak. Yep. Um, we knew that it was coming. We knew that it was going to be quite different to previous reports. Yeah. Um, and it was. It's going to be. It's. It's much more about positioning the UK on a on a global stage. It is. Yeah. I mean, previous technician reports have always been about city clusters, and we've kind of expanded each year to include more cities or more clusters. Um, but I, I guess you know it's kind of a change of focus. Obviously, technician. Um, 
is now looking at the national picture much more than it is at the local picture. Um, so the, the the local aspect kind of reflects how they've divvied the company up into different regions. Um, but really, the report is about positioning the UK as a as a as a country as a, a tech economy against the rest of the world. Um, so, so yeah, in, in some respects, it, it's a bit leaner on on data um, because it doesn't it doesn't break things down, you know, by smaller geographies, um, and it kind of leans heavily on certain data sets. Um, so, there's a lot of stuff around um, communities and and meetups, and all of that data comes from meetup.com. Um, all of the uh, all of the investment data comes from PitchBook, um, and I mean, you know, there's, there's, it's a good read. There's some really interesting conclusions to be drawn from it. Um, there's some really, you know, it's really noticeable how, how, how important the UK is as a tech economy, um, but equally how um, small a proportion of GDP we invest in research and development. Um, and so we're kind of, for the amount of R&D investment, we're really punching above our weight, but obviously with more, we could do more as well. Is um, that nationwide or is it? Yeah, nationwide. It's not really... It's not London-centric or... Uh, well, no, you don't really get that get that picture anymore because it, it, it doesn't break those things out. So, um, so obviously, I mean, Sheffield is part of part of Yorkshire and the Humber. So, um, so we kind of get a, you know a, a picture of of what's going on and what the economic figures are um, for the whole region, but not really broken down m- more granularly like that. You know, not even by by lep area, which or or you know other geographic units of economic. Um, evaluation that are used elsewhere. That said, Sheffield does get a mention a couple of times, and it's uh, apparently similar to Nashville and Jakarta in yeah, terms of yeah, yeah. investment trajectory, which is exciting, I think. <laughs> Again, I, I, don't, I don't know how important or useful that, that information is. Um, <laughs> So, so yeah. So, if you if you look at our investment profile, the, globally, the most the, the most similar cities are Nashville and Jakarta. Yep. Um, but you know that doesn't really say necessarily a lot about where we're headed. You need to know a lot about the cities around Nashville and Jakarta for it to mean <laughs> anything whatsoever, don't you really? Never mind. Uh, there's going to be some um, tours. What are they? They're, they're gonna, there's, a, there's a Tech Nation report. Yeah, tour? so they're, they're going around the country. They're going to each of the, each of the regions um, to kind of engage with um, tech companies and people in economic support there around what's in the report to have a little bit more of a focused conversation about the particular region um and so there's, there'll be an opportunity the 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 yorkshire and humber one is going to be in leeds on the 27th of june so there'll be an opportunity to go and talk to them more specifically about what it means but you know obviously their their focus is much more on the uk as a player on the international stage i think you know i, th- I think there's a number of reasons for this kind of change of tack if you like um, obviously, Brexit is kind of part of it. It's, you know, the UK needs to make a stronger argument for, for you know, globally. Um, and so that's kind of politically the, the focus a bit more. I think from our point of view, it makes, you know, we, we're working on a quarterly um, you know, briefing of the tech sector in Sheffield. And I think it makes that more important now because, you know, the, the, the national um, picture doesn't break, doesn't break it down by cluster anymore. So we have an opportunity to become the de facto voice of, of, of what the situation is here in Sheffield and, and the Sheffield City region. I had, I had lunch with, um, with um, one of the lecturers at the business school this week to talk about what stats we can get and how we can replace the stats that have been lost from the Tech Nation report, essentially. Um, so I'm quite positive about that aspect of it. Fantastic. Okay. Um, 
Do we talk about emerging core pillars of Sheffield Tech? Yeah, so this is kind of related in a way. Okay. So that there's been a um, there's been a conversation going on for quite a long time uh, around uh, the identity of um, Sheffield's tech industry. Um, and again, you know, if if we if we identify what that you know what the identity is and how the Sheffield tech industry break down, I'm not sure it would really have that much in common with either Jakarta or Nashville. Um, but that's not kind of an aside. Um, so this conversation has been going on with the DIT and with Bayes and, and, and other, um, you know, government agencies. Uh, and really it's about um, where they and the people they've engaged with in Sheffield see Sheffield's unique strengths. So, you know, are there areas in which when their um, ambassadors are out, um, you know, trade ambassadors are out around the world talking to other tech companies, countries, governments, investors, um, what do they say about Sheffield and what kinds of opportunity do they when they when it's put on the table associate Sheffield with, you know, where do they say, oh, the place for that in the UK is Sheffield and Throughout, through these conversations, they've, the, there's kind of three specific areas where we kind of collectively believe that there's an argument to be made that Sheffield has a particular unique specialism that, you know, doesn't exist anywhere else in the country outside of London, maybe. And those, those areas are around um, learning technologies. I think, you know, Sheffield has got a clear, um, you know, narrative and, and business base and, and um, uh, you know, story to tell around and history around um, around learning technologies and ed tech. Um, there's also one around creative technologies, so kind of the the gamut from from music tech to screen, video games, um, art and culture, theatre, immersive. We've got a lot of creative technology companies in, in the city that have kind of traditionally been in their own little silos. But there's a view that actually, you know, Sheffield it can't compete with some other cities in terms of say you know screen or broadcast technology or video games particularly it's a very strong cluster for video games but it, you, know, you wouldn't put it above say Dundee or or Leamington Spa or any of the other kind of you know well-known centers of, of of video game activity but in combination as creative technologies there is there's a there's a, a weight of, of work going on across lots of different media um, that you know Sheffield could really pull together and shout about. Um, so I think creative technology is going to be the second area that that is being put forward as a, an area which Sheffield has got a real specialism, a real unique specialism beyond what other cities have got. And the third one is around mobility and movement technology and the technology of, of movement, of movement of people, goods, um, robots, autonomous movement, um, you know, well-being tech. Uh, outdoors, assistive technologies, um, the work of companies like the Flow in in um, automotive telematics and Three Squared in in um, uh, railway digital, you know, digitizing railway technology, and how how goods are moved around the country, um, together with kind of some of the things that are happening elsewhere in the city region, like the big logistics hub in um, in Doncaster, uh, National Railway um, Academy. And things like that. Um, so there's a there's there's kind of a there's a set of things around the technology of movement um, and how that spills into um, health and well-being and the you know the move more data, the advanced well-being research centre, what's going on at uh, the Olympic Legacy Park. Um, basically, technologies that encourage people to move and that, that track and measure movement and and what that means for health. 
So, so that there's discussions going on around that whether whether there's enough activity around that and enough of a business base that it's that's coherent that that mobility technology is a is a coherent subsector that Sheffield um, can really um, make its own in terms of its relationship to these others. So, so that those are kind of the three, the core pillars of Sheffield Tech. Those are the three core pillars that are under discussion at the moment. So we, we're kind of hoping that that turns into a much more overt strategy for the city and that people become much more aware, aware of that. But interestingly, um, the one area that I think most most economic policymakers in the city would say is is the strength of Sheffield is advanced manufacturing and digital manufacturing and, and you know industry 4.0 and and I think Sheffield has a massive strengths there as well um, in in these discussions though um, it's it's not seen as necessarily unique strength of Sheffield there are other cities that have a similar claim so so these three are really around unique strengths um, but um, in, industry 4.0, uh, digital manufacturing, cybersecurity, um, data analytics, visualization, simulation. Um, you know, there's lots of lots of other areas in which Sheffield is really strong um, that these kind of three pillars sit on top of, if you like. Um, or you know, I can well imagine that that um, industry 4.0 will be seen as a fourth pillar alongside those three. Uh, you know, it's a kind of it's a different part of the industrial strategy, but I think. I think that's really what is emerging as the as the the identity of Sheffield's tech industry. Great for what it's worth. It's time for good news corner, which everyone's excited about. Yeah, <laughs> that was um, a bit heavy, wasn't it? All of that strategic stuff. That's all right. So that's Sorry about that. fine. <laughs> um, so uh, good news corner. It's just policy, you know. Just 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 work. <laughs> good news corner. <laughs> I have to edit this. <laughs> yes. So many pieces of good news. So uh, receptive has been acquired. Yes. <laughs> That's our first one, of course. But other stuff too. So Collider Hub is now open. So we've been talking about that for Yonks on the podcast. We've kind of tracked its development, and it's all now officially open. Cam, you're, you work there, don't you? Cam from the audience, as we call you. Great. <laughs> yes, fantastic. So yeah, but there are um, companies are moving in and. Co-working yeah, space. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's open. Like you know, for years of of you know, spe- you know, work and and effort of um, figuring out what to do with the money that that was pledged by government in 2015, and then um, the whole process of of that bid being won by Collider Project, and then taking over Castle House and doing it out, and now here we are in May 2019, and and the place is open. So it's a huge success, really, just to get it open. So you know. It's good news. It's very good news. University of Sheffield Centre for Doctoral Training in Speech and Language Technologies, part of a £100 million investment by UKRI. 16 artificial intelligence CDTs across the UK. A CDT is a Centre for Doctoral Training. That's as, right, yeah. As so, previously said. So, you, so UK um, Research Investment um, has, has pledged 100 million quid to set up these 16 centres, and Sheffield's got one. And it's specialising in speech and language technology. So, you know, um, that's semantic analysis, natural language processing. Um, so all of the AI that goes into speech and language. Fantastic. Uh, Beer and Bites events at Factory 2050. Yeah, so th- this is um, there's kind of a new meetup series that has started up at Factory 2050. So, I mean, you know, Factory 2050 have been trying to, to, to build relationships with um, the tech, tech industry in the city, um, and they're they're running these events so it's an opportunity for kind of manufacturing and engineering companies and tech companies to get together um, and talk tech with some beers at factory 2050 so um, it's kind of good to see that that's happening and uh, Sheffield has done well in the thriving places index yeah at, at risk of going off into a massive monologue about a report similar uh, to, to Jakarta and Nashville you think? <laughs> 
Yeah, um, so so the Thriving Places Index um, came out uh, a couple of weeks ago, and Sheffield did very well in a lot of kind of interesting areas. Um, I should probably, instead of talking about it at length on a podcast, put a post up about it. Um, but just very briefly, it did very well in place and environment. Um, it is true that Sheffield is the greenest um, city in the UK, greenest large city in the UK. Um, also scored very highly on culture and adult education. Um, so we have a very large number of, edu- of well-educated uh, adult population and some very, like the largest percentage of adults who said they were in some form of learning or education within the last four weeks um, in, their, in their surveys. Um, but at the same time, we've got a very low work and local economy score with only, I think, 15% uh, or no, 15% of the adult population is unwillingly out of work. Um, so we have quite un- high unemployment rate here. So yeah, so there's there's some there's some really good news in a lot in a lot of areas. Um, but there's like there's this big kind of um, disconnect between the number of educated adults we've got in the city and the the low number of um, of opportunities we have for them. So so this is really. I think why Sheffield is attractive to companies, tech companies coming into the city, and why we're seeing such a such a lot of of that. Why our our industry is booming because it's it's making up this shortfall, this this sort of imbalance between the amount of talent that's available and the amount of opportunities um, is starting to 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 even out finally. Um, and it's obviously from the report, it's still got quite a long way to go. Uh, Rise has secured funding to continue for a further three years with an enhanced grants for digital businesses, digital jobs, recruited through the scheme. Yeah, so Rise is a kind of graduate um, employment program, um, and they've got another three years worth of funding. So there's again, that's another talent, part of the talent pipeline into the tech industry. And it, it used to be more focused on um, kind of more manufacturing and call centery service and um, hospitality jobs, um, but there's a much bigger kind of um, you know digital industry component to it now. Okay. Uh, MindBody have set up in Sheffield. Yeah, yeah. So that's another a big US um, well-being tech company that have. Um, I think they've taken a floor here. Yeah, yeah, in this building. Yeah, cool. Uh, and uh, you know, alongside that, so they're they're setting up a, a capability here. And I mean, there's a we've got a load of companies that are hiring at the moment. So obviously. The guys are receptive, are hiring, um, Egress is rehiring, Wandisco is rehiring, Quidco, uh, Ministry, uh, Ministry of Justice, uh, they're hiring. Um, so there's, they're, they're looking to set up an increased hub there um, and quite a few others. As always, a big thank you to our latest members and company members. We have uh, Milenico and Quidco. Big thank you to them for signing up and supporting Sheffield Digital. And on the individual front, we have uh, John Richardson. Big thank you to John. Yeah, thanks to everyone. You can subscribe to the Sheffield Digital Podcast in Apple Podcasts or whichever app that you particularly fancy using. And you can find out more at sheffield.digital slash podcast. Tell your mates. And a big thank you to all those of you who have uh, very kindly sat through us doing this for the last uh, hour and a half. Uh, and, uh, And I think that's it. That's it. Let's wrap it up. Thanks, everybody, for coming.